This episode of World Changing Ideas is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. Hey, everybody. In our last episode, we talked about taking methane and turning it into replacements for plastic products. So naturally, we wanted to pick up that thread in this episode and talk about plastics. The world has produced well over 8 billion tons of plastic. Plastic waste is everywhere, so much so that some scientists have called our current era the plasticine. Global plastic pollution is forecast to double over the next decade. The Injoro River in Kenya, hidden beneath a blanket of plastic bottles. A recent study reveals that more than half the world's sea turtles and as many as 90% of all seabirds swallow it. Cheers erupted at the United Nations Environment Assembly in Nairobi as 175 nations agreed to clean up the mess. It's being We've covered plastic waste on the show before. Last year, when we talked with a consortium of companies that have pledged to keep plastics from going into the ocean. And we also chatted with the founders of a new pregnancy test that's completely plastic-free. But today on the show, we're going to break down plastic. As in, literally, how does it break down? And how can we take it out of the operation altogether? I'm Talib Vizram, and you're listening to World Changing Ideas, where we investigate how leading innovators are solving our most challenging issues. This season, we'll be looking exclusively at climate change and what's being done to try and save the world. The UN's plastic treaty announcement last month serves as a major step in not only cleaning up plastic waste, but also regulating plastics production. But it's not the only step in tackling this massive problem. There are non-profits collecting plastic debris from the ocean, scientists using okra to remove microplastics, and some companies are investing in biodegradable plastic products, which is what we're going to focus on in today's episode. But before we find out what biodegradable plastic is, first, what's plastic even made of? Now we're going to dive into another, hopefully, short lesson in basic chemistry. You start with a raw material, which has been traditionally crude oil or gas. That goes through a cracking process that creates hydrocarbons like ethylene and propylene, which are then chemically processed to make monomers. The monomers are then linked together into long molecular chains called polymers. The final polymer resins are usually in the form of pellets or beads that have to be heated or molded into objects of various shapes and sizes. Okay, so that's synthetic plastics. Still with me? Now, what are bioplastics? Those are naturally occurring polymers, like cellulose, soy protein, or vegetable oil, that come from crops and bacteria. Plants and microorganisms can also produce substances like lactic acid, which can be combined into polylactic acid. Two ways to produce bioplastics are fermentation and genetically engineering plants as bioreactors. While bioplastics can degrade in certain environmental conditions, they may not degrade in all sorts of climates. They are just not biodegradable under the condition you dispose them. So for example, you put them in a compost, they're not degradable. You put them in the marine, they're not degradable. 
That's Dr. Ting Shu from the University of California, Berkeley. She's a professor in the Department of Science Engineering and the Department of Chemistry. And she explained that the reason most of these biodegradable products don't actually degrade is because a suitable enzyme might not be available to degrade them. You just have to make sure that the chemistry is carried because you cannot control where the single-reuse plastic is going to end up, right? So it may end up in the very dirty water, may end up in the dirt, it may end up on the tree. To fix this, Shu's team developed a new bioplastic that completely composts within weeks. She's modest about the discovery, though, explaining that the enzyme and biochemistry were already in place. We didn't develop enzyme. We didn't develop the chemistry to degrade the plastic. All we have to do is just make sure that that capability in nature evolved over the years is put into use wherever you go. So we, we really didn't do much, to be honest. What they did do was incorporate nature into their design to make sure that the enzyme was present when it needed to be. Oh, and Shu likes to compare the enzyme breaking down that long strand of plastic to that old video game character, Pac-Man, chomping down on a noodle. What we do are two things. One is we give this Pac-Man a jacket so that it can survive inside the plastic, survive during storage, during the processing. And then we also engineer when the Pac-Man can be activated. And then we control where the enzyme or the Pac-Man should be distributed inside of the plastic. So, protection, activation, and distribution. That last point is really important because distribution ensures that the entire piece of plastic gets degraded. Shu explained a major difference between the lab and the real world is that you can manage conditions better in the lab. Things like how much of the enzyme is present and whether or not that amount is sufficient enough to cause the plastic to degrade completely. You want to have a minimal impact. You want to make sure that if something you expose to nature, they already have seen it. They know how to deal with it. Do not give them new foreign that they have to evolve to adapt to. By incorporating the enzyme into the plastic, you know what you can control, right? You know it's just always there. And I would say, control what you already know. I think that's basically what the design philosophy is there. Shu says she wants to enter a new era of material engineering and change our philosophy of design where it doesn't matter if it's plastic or it's a battery or even solar panels. Sustainability should be included as a design criterion from the beginning. Originally, plastics were designed with serviceability in mind, but now we need to incorporate more sustainability into that mindset. Whether in the end the material is going to be completely compostable or completely recyclable, she says we have the ability to engineer that into reality. We really have to look at the problems by its own nature, instead of saying that we're going to find one solution that is going to fit it all. Everything has to be biodegradable. Everything has to be compostable. That's, no, that, that shouldn't be. And that would never happen. And for certain things, let me just give you one example. If you look at the tire in the airplane, while you land it, you want it to be as robust as possible. And I wanted to make sure that it will not degrade under any given conditions. So we have to balance sustainability with health because convenience is part of the equation, but it's not all of the equation. 
A single-use plastic bag is not the same as an airplane tire, so they can't be made the same way, and because of this, they won't break down in the same way. Which means all plastic materials aren't going away anytime soon. So what I would like to really see is that the manufacturers stay down together. It's no longer, oh, I'm going for sustainability, you're not going for sustainability, so you're the villain. That's not the case. Xu says we're in a place now to unify different industries and not villainize one another. Since plastic recycling is still something we're trying to figure out, she says with a little bit more synergy and a little bit more coordination, we could do better. My feeling is that if you ask me, I think you have to design the material to sue the consumers. You want to design a product that is almost like, um, you know, human proof. That doesn't matter who is going to use it, doesn't matter when they're going to use it, eventually this is going to go. That to me is a long-term solution. It's a more challenging solution. When we come back, we'll hear from someone who was researching baby formula when she saw a fact that was so disturbing, it drove her to create a product that would fundamentally change the cleaning products industry. But first, a quick break. This episode of World Changing Ideas is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. Sarah Pai Yu is the CEO and co-founder of Blueland, a company that has committed to revolutionizing conventional cleaning and personal care products. The goal is to eliminate the need for single-use plastic packaging, with the belief that people should be able to have a clean home without sacrificing a clean planet. Sarah, I wanted to start off by raising this study that I came across that was kind of horrifying. There's this study that came out in 2019 that the average person is ingesting about five grams worth of plastic every week. Um, that's a credit card's worth of plastic. And this is coming from our drinking water supply and, and kind of other food and drink that we consume. How much did these kinds of stats really play a part in you wanting to to create your company? Yeah, it's it's actually uncanny that you bring that stat up because it was a very similar realization for me that actually completely just kickstarted, um, you know, my journey to founding Blueland. I had actually become a new mom. And as I was researching what kind of water I should use to make my son's baby formula, and I was actually wondering, you know, for example, is bottled water maybe cleaner than New York City tap water, I was pretty horrified to learn that regardless of whether you're drinking tap water or bottled water, you know, an average glass of drinking water here in the U.S. contains hundreds of pieces of microplastics. And yeah, that was the first time I started to make that connection between, you know, all this single-use plastic that we're consuming as a society, how it's ending up in our waterways, breaking down, and like you said, now it's showing back up in the food we eat and water we drink. So Paijiu decided to create a product that would not rely on plastic as much. You know, when we first had the idea for, oh, this, you know, cleaning tablet, you know, we looked around and we were like, wow, cleaning sprays are 90% plus water. So it doesn't make sense that, you know, we as consumers are not only buying a new plastic bottle every time we run out of cleaning solution, we're also paying for all this water. You know, it seemed like a good idea that, you know, 
to just sell just what the consumer needs ultimately just you know the stuff because we all have water at home and you know we can get consumers to just add their own water at home what seemed like a good idea turned out to be more complicated than she'd anticipated i didn't realize at that point that um there were a lot of reasons why it was extremely difficult to do and you know i myself not being a chemist um and my co-founder is also not a chemist we're both on the business side of the world you know we first turned to cleaning products manufacturers you know typically in most industries as a consumer product startup you can go to existing supply chains and find manufacturers that can work with you to develop what you have in mind um you know i am a serial entrepreneur um my background is as a you know in the fashion and beauty space where again there's no shortage of manufacturers that you can go to to work together with on formulation and and developing a product mm-hmm. um so naturally you know first tried calling um no shortage of cleaning products manufacturers actually called over a dozen you know they sort of categorically you know thought we were crazy <laughs> you know they said we don't you know we made liquid cleaning products we don't even own tablet machinery nor know the first thing about creating sort of like dry products right and on top of that most of our ingredients actually come to us as liquid not even dry so not sure how you guys plan to you know somehow like magically convert these liquid ingredients into dry products yeah and so at that point it became clear that we needed to formulate the products ourselves which is you know a hard um realization to swallow given that we were both not chemists um, not only were we not chemists we did not have any chemists in our networks we did sort of the next natural thing we turned to linkedin and we just started combing through people's profiles we you know created a spreadsheet of hundreds of chemists with presumably kind of the types of backgrounds we thought would be relevant and just started reaching out in waves really just with the objective of getting anyone who might know something um to get on the phone with us um wow. and either lead us you know in the right direction or potentially help us Well, wow, that sounds like exhausting work, but you got there. <laughs> we got there. I mean, we eventually got there. I mean, ultimately, I mean, we we were able to land truly like our first choice, like dream pick of our spreadsheets of like hundreds of scientists. You know, he not only had extremely deep experience in the cleaning products industry, um and he was a director of formulation at Method, which is one of the largest um non-toxic cleaning brands in the world. Yeah. But prior to his deep experience in cleaning, he actually was um a scientist in developing vitamins and nutritional supplements so effectively tablets so he had both the cleaning experience as well as the dry format experience great how do these the soap that's kind of created from these refilled tablets compare to our traditional liquid detergents are, are you getting the same kind of the same suds and the same kind of lather i don't know if that's the right word for for dishes but you know the same kind of experience we we're, we're used to creating You are, you are, you absolutely are. So, and we were extremely focused on, you know, both the experience and the efficacy from the beginning. In addition to sort of other factors like price point and ingredient quality, but, you know, I think we realized from the beginning as much as the environment was our initial inspiration and truly like our ongoing motivation, we knew that to really maximize our environmental impact, we'd have to appeal to people just beyond um eco cuz we understood that for most all people right that is not the driving factor to why they purchase a certain brand uh and so we knew that 
we needed to have a comparable or even better product at a comparable or even lower price point. And so proud to say that from an experience perspective, you know, it's it's just as much rich foam. Um, and then from a cleaning perspective as well, our hand soap is, is effective at washing away bacteria and viruses. And as if making soap from scratch wasn't already demanding, PaiGU wanted to eliminate plastic from their packaging too. And in terms of the packaging, uh, so the tablets come in in a paper wrapping. How did you manage to avoid more plastic packaging? And what can people do with the with the packaging of the refill packs once they're done? Yeah, so it's a good question. It's funny because, um, you know, a lot of these conversations usually focus so heavily on the tablet. And that certainly was the first huge challenge that we had to tackle. And once we developed that tablet, we thought like, okay, it's going to be downhill from here. Because you know, initially the thought process was, we're going to remove the water from traditional cleaning products, then have a dry product that we can then package in paper instead of plastic. So package in paper instead of plastic, that seemed like the much easier part. Yeah. Little did we realize just how challenging that was going to be. And so on the backs of developing a tablet, creating the wrapper was another like year-long process. Um, and we actually thought that that was going to derail the entire concept because, you know, once we had the tablet with the paper, you can't just use plain old paper, right? It needs to still protect the tablet. Um, it needs to still preserve the tablet. You want to have ideally a two-year shelf life. You need to protect it from extreme heat, extreme humidity. You don't know where sort of the end environment is going to be, where people are going to be storing that tablet, what the environment is going to be for that tablet en route to its final destination. Um, and so not only does the material have to protect the tablet from those extremities, um, the material has to also withstand um, going through a machine, right, to then package um, the tablet. And so that proved to be a lot more challenging than we could have ever expected. We had found a lot of potential paper options here in the U.S. Um, and, you know, all of them at some at one of the touch points ended up failing, right? Um, and so we ended up ultimately turning to Europe and finding a material that hit all of the specifications that we needed, um, had to import that material and then had to purchase our own like wrapping machine, which again is atypical for a startup. With a startup, you usually work with a contract manufacturer, you're usually kind of borrowing what they have. But, you know, very early on in our life cycle, we had to go into purchasing some pretty heavy equipment to make all of this possible. On top of all that, Blueland is officially a B Corp, which certifies for-profit companies for their social and environmental performance. Blueland is also climate neutral certified. Really, the first step of that journey was to conduct like a very in-depth company-wide audit to quantify all of our emissions. So those emissions range from um, emissions from running our facility, manufacturing facilities to, you know, transporting, you know, our goods from the manufacturing sites to our warehouses, emissions from running our warehouses, uh, running our headquarters, and then also obviously emissions from shipping our products ultimately to our end consumer. Based on that assessment, the next step was really to identify all the areas where we could limit our emissions further. You know, a lot about becoming carbon neutral is not just about like, you know, how much are we emitting and then paying to offset it. Um, you know, to me, at least the most important step is to figure out like, how can you just get better by reducing and continue to reduce more and more each year? This process definitely prompted us to make additional changes, you know, across our supply chain and in our headquarters. We were proud to say that in quantifying our emissions, a lot of our emissions were already lower 
than most cleaning companies because we were creating, you know, very small tablets and shipping tablets that are like a hundred times smaller than, you know, a full bottle of liquid. But in addition to that, you know, we took steps like, for example, at our headquarter offices, we partnered with a renewable energy service provider, which ensures, you know, that our energy bill goes towards putting renewable energy sources like wind and solar on the power grid. And then, you know, ultimately for all the emissions that we aren't able to eliminate, uh, we purchase carbon offsets. And for that, uh, we've teamed up with Rimba Raya Biodiversity Reserve, um, which we're really proud to do. They're out in Indonesia, you know, in addition to planting really hundreds of thousands of trees, they've also prevented over 65,000 hectares of peat forest ecosystems from being converted to oil palm, uh, which we're really proud of. Yeah, That's kind of been our journey to being carbon neutral and getting climate neutral certified, but definitely a, you know, a very gratifying one. Absolutely. Were those experiences more taxing than your Shark Tank experience? I'm, <laughs> I'm curious. Tell us a little bit about that. Shark Tank was extremely taxing and in a very different way. Uh, it's definitely, yeah, one of the most stressful experiences I've ever been through. Um, also one of the most um, exciting and, and great for cocktail parties. But yeah, I think, you know, going on Shark Tank was on my bucket list for a really long time. You know, I have been, I feel like as an entrepreneur, I've been a serial entrepreneur for a little over a decade. Shark Tank has been airing for the past 11 years. So I feel like I kind of like grew up as an entrepreneur alongside Shark Tank. I always told myself if I was working on like the right business, right for that audience that I would absolutely take it there. And again, and then when I had the idea for Blue Land, like very early on, I committed to myself, like we're going to bring Blue Land onto Shark Tank. And so it really was a dream come true to be able to do that. But yeah, I know there's, there's nothing like it in terms of going into a forum where for like an hour and a half, like you feel like the end goal of the folks on the other side of the table are to just like rip you apart and make for good TV. <laughs> right. Um, is again, incredibly taxing, but I think ultimately it was incredibly worthwhile. Right. Well, you pulled it out of the bag at the end with the, yeah. uh, the royalties deal. Yeah. Last summer, Blueland rolled out laundry products and ventured into plastic-free sponges and dishcloths too. Um, we realized that there was very deep demand from consumers that, you know, plastic sponges do make up the overwhelming share of, a, of the sponge market. And there was a lot of demand for an alternative. And it was just another item where, you know, experts recommend replacing your plastic sponge every two weeks, which means ultimately that that's a lot of waste. I'm still surprised that we are where we are today because, you know, in, in a short sort of like two and a half years, we've already helped eliminate over one billion plastic cleaning bottles, wow. which is, you know, a really exciting milestone to be hitting. Absolutely. You know, I think it's been, again, very gratifying to put out into market products in, in formats that have never been seen before. And yeah, we plan to continue to do that. Um, we're actually launching products in two revolutionary formats that have never been seen in the market that we've never launched to date. Huh. I can't share any more than that, but <laughs> extremely excited about what we're launching this year. It's been, you know, two plus years in the making. Well, Sarah, thanks so much for being here. This was awesome. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Given how prevalent plastics are in our world today, we do have our work cut out for us. But by re-engineering the chemistry of plastic production, 
and phasing it out of the process where it's not necessary, we could be headed in the right direction. That's all for our show today. If you're a new listener, be sure to subscribe to World Changing Ideas wherever you find your podcasts. If you like this episode, leave us a rating and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Today's episode was produced by Avery Miles. Fast Company podcasts are produced by Franz Bowen, Avery Miles, and Blake Odom. Editing and sound design by Nicholas Torres. Executive producer is Joshua Christensen. Editorial oversight from Deputy Editor Kate Davis and Senior VP of Entertainment Scott Meebus.